Good morning. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Jonah chapter 3. Open your app, please, to Jonah chapter 3. It's always quiet now when I say open your Bible because people are just there. Uh, We are working our way through this short little book. We'll finish next week with Jonah chapter 4. We're going to be all in chapter 3. This is a story of God's mercy. This is an illustration of God's mercy demonstrated in the life of Jonah. It's a story of God's mercy demonstrated in the life of the sailors whose lives he put at risk. It is a story of God's mercy toward the Ninevites. Um, It is a story of God's mercy toward us. Um, And it is a shadow of the perfect illustration and demonstration of God's mercy shown to us in the person of Jesus Christ, which I've tried to go at at lengths to demonstrate for you. Um, And this is where we are in the story. So so Jonah has been called uh, to deliver a message to the Ninevites who are not God's people. This is a different people group than his own, and, and Jonah does not want to do it. And so instead he comes up with an alternative plan that takes him out to uh, Tarshish and uh, on a ship. Um, and initially, it looked like a great idea the way circumstances all came together, but eventually uh, God caught up to Jonah. He has more ways of catching up to us than we have of running away from him, which is his mercy toward us. And uh, through a variety of circumstances, Jonah finds himself cast into the sea as a means of uh, delivering uh, these, the sailors on the ship. And uh, in his mercy, God uh, sends a great fish to swallow Jonah and preserve him for three days and three nights. And in chapter 2, you can see a prayer of gratitude. You can see a prayer of repentance in Jonah that we looked at last week. And at the end of that prayer, it says in verse 10, chapter 2, that the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah on to dry land. What a lovely image. I'm sure, I'm sure let's, don't, let's don't pretend like the Bible's not just weird sometimes. But that's what happened. So let's stand together and read chapter 3 where we'll be today. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In forty days Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways. 
So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. You may, you may be seated. I want to um, quickly show you this morning three, three things about mercy, three things about forgiveness and their impact uh, and their, uh, the result of it in our, in our life. Uh, three, three things about mercy. Um, I have been spending probably a little too much time on social media. I don't know if y'all have the same problem. I've, I, I just this week, I just have to tell you, I've just scrolled through it too much, and it's probably negatively affected my soul. Um, I, I don't know that it has a positive impact at all, um, but I'm pretty sure it has a negative one. But I have, I have spent some time there, and one of the patterns that I have noticed is because now that Facebook and Instagram are inserting ads every two people, um, is, is that there is a, there is a pattern and a mechanism and a, and a, and a, um, and a formula to how you are to market something on social media. Um, it goes something like this, and I'm just going to make something up here on the top. I, it's not in the notes. Um, it, I, it starts off with a personal experience. And, and by advertisement, I don't even necessarily mean an advertisement that Facebook is feeding you or Instagram is feeding you. I mean one that your friends who have now come to some realization and have started a business um, are, have also, this is what they do as well, right? Because they're copying and pasting from their upline who has told them how to do this. Um, it's, it starts off with this personal experience. This is who I was. This is what my battle was. This is what my trial was. This is what my struggle was. But it led to um, a realization or a method that I could then replicate and get results over and over and over again. And those insights can be yours if you will just, and then there's a call to action, right? It's either sign up for my webinar where I'll tell you the five things. And then when you do, and you sit through the webinar, they don't actually tell you the five things. You actually have to get pushed further down the funnel where you owe them money for the five things. You just see how this, this works, right? It's this, it's this pattern of if, if from person, but it's all rooted. It's all rooted in personal experience. Um, I have I have a friend um, from high school. I have not spoken with her since high school, um, but somehow or another, we're friends on Facebook. I don't know how that works, but that's I, I mean I know how it happened. But it's like like one day in high school, one day I was sitting on Facebook and said, "Oh, I think I'll look up all the people I graduated high school with and friend them." I don't know why I did that, um, or they did the same to me. But I had this friend, and she popped up in my feed. And uh, she's, you know, my age, 46, she just got married for the first time. And, and then that resulted in her uh, having this epiphany about this thing or that thing. And she had all this life change. And now she's going to teach all the people that she knows about how to have life change. But it starts with a personal experience. And that personal experience qualifies us to tell others about our experience because maybe their experience can be the same, right? Something like that in a, in a redeemed way, in a biblical way, in a good way, not in a cynical way, but in a really good truthful way is taking place in this story. I ended part of my sermon last week saying that, that God was using this moment with Jonah in the, in the belly of this fish 
to make him the very thing that he is going to proclaim to Nineveh. That he is showing mercy to Jonah so that Jonah would be the embodiment of the message that he would preach to the Ninevites, a message of God's mercy. Mercy, the first thing I want you to see about mercy is that it qualifies you. Mercy is what qualifies you to proclaim the Christian message to the world. It qualifies you for the mission. Look at verse 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So now Jonah was guilty, but he was rescued, and now he's up on the shore, and he's clearly been forgiven, and he's been forgiven for a function. Uh, my, my favorite, one of my favorite preachers, uh, Tony Evans, said that, Joseph, uh, that Jonah was 600 feet under, but he was brought back up for an undertaking. And you can hear him saying that, can't you? And, and, and that, is the, that, is, that is true for you. That is true for me. That is what Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 means, that we are his workmanship. That's what God has done. Created in Christ, that's how he has done it. For good works, that's why he's done it, which God prepared beforehand, that's when he did it, that we should walk in them. That's why he has saved us, for those good works that he's prepared to do in us beforehand. So Jonah was experiencing mercy in the belly of the whale for the mission of telling mercy elsewhere, specifically into Nineveh. And isn't it cool in verse 2 is that when God comes to Jonah a second time, he doesn't say anything about the first time. That forgiveness is really just that. It is forgiveness. That God holds no grudges against people who are forgiven. As much trouble as you may have of forgetting your mistakes and as much trouble as others may have of forgetting your mistakes, God does not have that trouble. That is the kind of forgiveness that forms us for mission. He he forgets, he forgives, and he makes no mention of any priors. Um, I said this in Sunday school in part because I knew I was going to say it this morning. The internet is forever. It is forever. Whatever you text, whatever you post, whatever, deleting is just is a facade. The internet is forever. So please remember that the next time that you say something online. The internet is forever. And I've told you all this before. I've used part of this as an illustration, which is to say that one of our favorite things to do as a family is to watch like America's Funniest Videos, right? So, or whatever, because we love laughing at everybody's mistakes. And because the internet is forever... We can watch and laugh at other people's mistakes over and over and over again. And there are some favorites that we have that no matter what, we like to watch them over and over again. And those people who are in those videos will never be able to say that what they did or what happened to them is truly forgotten. There's video evidence on my device that I can watch over and over and over again for my joy and their humiliation, right? So, the internet is forever. Let's apply this theologically to the text. God is forever. 
everything that we've ever said or ever done is effectively on God's internet. But the blood of Jesus removes his condemnatory memory of our past. He doesn't use the shame of our past, the choices of our past, the things we said in the past, the, the things that we've done in the past. He doesn't use us use those things to force us into some sort of begrudging obedience. Now, you remember what you did last time, so you better not do it again. It doesn't come out of his mouth. He freely forgives us for the thing that he has for us. Forgiveness is the, is the driver. Mercy is the motivation that frees us for mission. Found my copy of, not my copy, Jonathan's copy, I'm sure, of uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Because it reminded me of this illustration, this uh, moment in the book where um, Edmund has been rescued by Aslan soldiers. He's the one. And when the other children, well, if you'll remember in the story, and Aslan has him rescued. And when the other children woke up the next morning, they'd been sleeping on piles of cushions in the pavilion. The first thing that they heard was from Mrs. Beaver that their brother had been rescued and brought into camp late at night and, and was at that moment with Aslan. And as soon as they had breakfasted, they all went out, and there they saw Aslan and Edmund walking together in the dewy grass apart from the rest of the court. I love this. There is no need to tell you, and no one ever heard, what Aslan was saying, but it was a conversation which Edmund never forgot. And as the others drew nearer, Aslan turned to meet them, and he brought Edmund with him, and he said, Here is your brother, and there is no need to talk to him about what has passed. Edmund shook his hands with each of the others and said to them in turn, I'm sorry. And everyone said, that's all right. And then everything, everyone wanted very hard to say something, which would make it quite clear that they were all friends again, something ordinary and natural. And of course, no one could think of anything in the world to say. But before they had time to really feel awkward, things started to happen. There's no need to talk to him about what is past. That's God. That's the way God is about our past, about our Shame. We saw this this morning in Sunday school in Genesis 45. Over in Genesis 45, the life of Joseph. Joseph, who was treated so wrongly by his brothers. Every reason in the world to hold it against them. And in Genesis 45, 15, excuse me, verse 45, 5. Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. And they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother. And he said, the one you sold into Egypt. Now, don't be what? Don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve your life. Joseph extends mercy toward his brothers who had treated him wrongly. He doesn't hold the past against them to use it as a tool to make them do what he wants them to do in the future. No, he recognizes that God was doing something with all of that, and so he forgave them. He had mercy. Mercy fuels us for mission. So that's what Jonah does. Look at what Jonah does in verse 3. Mercy has prepared him for the mission, and it's qualified him for the mission, and now it is fuel for his mission. Look at verse 3. He says, Jonah got up. I went to Nineveh, went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. 
And now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. And Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. There are a few things that embolden us for gospel mission, like a deeper realization of the gospel's impact on our own lives. God's mercy toward Jonah fueled Jonah's boldness to proclaim God's mercy to a lost city. You and I are emboldened to share the gospel to others more to the degree that we are constantly preaching it to ourselves. Mercy is what fuels us for the mission. I want to show an image on the screen if we have, do we have that, guys? Were you able to, to, so so well done. Thank you, Mr. Gillette. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Um, I may have, I know I've talked about this. I may have shown you this image, but this is, this is what Jonah was doing now. It's not what he was doing in chapter one. It's what he was doing now. So there's this moment in Jonah's life where this little door is in the very beginning where the Lord opened his eyes to the incredibleness of his holiness, of the Lord's holiness, and to the, to the depth of his own sinfulness. And in that moment where you understand that God is holy and that you are not and that, that, that Jesus is the one who lived the life that you cannot live and paid the price for you not living that way and you believe and trust in his life, death, and resurrection, that's the moment you become a Christian, okay? But in principle, this is the moment where Jonah realizes his life is not his own and he's living for God, okay? So that's what's taking place here. Now, the rest of your life, the rest of your Christian life is growing in your awareness of those two things. It is, for the next, until you die, it is an increasing awareness of how holy God is. And the more that takes place, there's an increasing awareness of just how sinful you actually are. And therefore, there is, as you go, an increasing appreciation for the work of Jesus on the cross. Does that make sense in the graphic? And if you have an increasing awareness of what Jesus has done for you on the cross, you have an increasing capacity to share that with somebody else. Because you, can't, you know it's not you. You know it's not because you're awesome. It's because He is. Now what our tendency is, is to see this little cross. Imagine going through this whole timeline and that cross never gets any bigger. There's just this, there's a very basic demonstration, but you're continuing to this timeline and there is no growth or awareness about who Jesus is and the holiness of God. There is no growth and awareness about your your sinfulness. And as a result, you're not preaching the gospel to yourself. You're preaching, you're leaving the door open for legalism. You're leaving the door open for, uh, for licensure. You're leaving the door open for condemnation. You're leaving the door open for anything but gospel. That's what Jonah was doing at first. Get up and go to Nineveh. No. They don't deserve your mercy. I'm going to Tarshish. All right? Scoops them up, leaves them in there for three days, puts them on dry land, and he says, now now you know I love you. Go to Nineveh. Yes. Because you've been merciful to me. I'm going to preach that to myself. And I see it. Chapter 2, that's what that's all about. I understand the gospel. And now I'm going to take it to this city. So this is what Jonah did. 
God had been preaching it to him, and that fueled him for the mission. And very few things will fuel us for the mission more than preaching this to ourselves. And the last thing I want you to see is in verses 5 through 10, that mercy is the mission. Mercy qualifies you. The gospel qualifies you for the mission. Mercy fuels you for the mission. The me- mercy is the mission. The people of Nineveh believed God. Verse 5, they called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. It reached the king and he issued a decree. And verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. When the Ninevites did... What Jonah had done, God did what God does. He forgave. He fulfilled the mission. The mission was repentance. The mission was mercy. The mission was redemption. The mission was forgiveness. And God did what God does, which is all of those things. Church, the mission of merciful people is not condemnation. The mission of merciful people is not separation. The mission of merciful people is not legalism. It is not licensure. The the mission of a merciful people is mercy. It is a message of love and of forgiveness. We say to the world, God is just... And he has judged your sin. God is gracious, judging his own son for it instead of you. He has had mercy and he abounds in grace. You are forgiven. That is the message of the church to the world. That is the message of every individual Christian to the world. The the tendency, don't let, okay, look. Okay. There is there's a tendency in our culture today to to think that a a conviction a gospel conviction it, it can lead you to to actually separate yourself from people who don't think like you. Am I making sense here? They don't agree with you, and therefore they are gay. They don't agree with you, and therefore they are of this political persuasion. They don't agree with you, and therefore they have all these other operating convictions. And therefore you conclude that you can't even have a relationship with them and that you should separate yourself from them. Can you imagine if that was Jesus' attitude? We couldn't be right with God. God is a God of mercy. He pursues us in love relentlessly. We may not conclude as Christians that people who don't agree with us can't be in relationship with us. This is, this is what it means to share the gospel. It is to invest our lives in people who share contradictory worldviews so that they can owe and understand the love of Jesus for them. And we can't expect them to behave a certain way, get to a certain place in order for them to be loved by God. God did not wait for you to come around in order to be loved. He came and got you. Go and get them. And it will cost you. 
It is hard to love somebody who does not share a Christian worldview. It is very hard. And it is very biblical to love somebody who does not share a Christian worldview. That's how Christians are made. Joseph totally understood this. Going back to Genesis chapter 50. That mercy is the mission. Listen, did you catch this in Sunday school today? When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, well, now we're done for. Joseph's only been nice to us because daddy's been alive. And we all know about his relationship with daddy. Now that his dad is dead, he's he's going to repay us for all the suffering that we caused him. So in their attempt to manipulate their brother, they made up a message. They said, hey, before dad died, he wanted us to tell you, please forgive your brothers for their sin and the suffering they caused you. Please forgive them. And Joseph said to them in verse 19, don't be afraid because he knew that message was made up and he knew they wrote it in fear. And he said, am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for their good, for the result of the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. What am I going to do? I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. Doesn't that sound like something Jesus would do? All of the evil that has been done against our holy, loving God. And in response, he says, I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm going to hold it against my son. I'm going to comfort you and I'm going to speak kindly to you. Isn't that what a church is supposed to do? In Christ, God has acted to forgive us. I hope that you believe that. I hope that you understand just how merciful God is toward you. And I hope that if you are harboring resentment and finding it difficult to forgive someone, it may very well be that you're not believing it about yourself enough. That deep down your lack of forgiveness of other people is rooted in the fact that you have no idea just how amazing God's forgiveness is toward you. And if you'll get there, and you should get there, here it is, a perfect story. 20 minutes of reading illustrated beautifully for us. If you can get there, then you will turn into a Jonah who tells others. Here's a question that I'm pondering. If God answered my biblical prayers without question, without question, if he answered them, how many people would experience God's forgiveness? I think there, there are people in our lives that we just kind of give up on. And I'm convicted today in preparing and reading this to, to just to not give up. Nineveh was a great city 40 days from destruction. And God had mercy. There's just not anybody else he can't have mercy on if that's true. God had mercy on me. And if that's true, there's just not anybody else that he can have mercy on. There's... It could be anybody. It could be anybody. So let's talk about it. Let's show the world what he's done. Let's pray together. Father, we are humbled by your word, and we ask that you would be as merciful 
toward us in Christ, that we would just realize it and see it and know it and believe it, that that would result in an evangelistic spirit and a prayerful spirit for, the, for those that do not yet know your mercy. We thank you that this is your posture toward us, revealed to us again and again and again through the scriptures, that you are slow to anger and quick to love, abounding in faithfulness toward us. So merciful, so gracious. Help us see it and proclaim it, believe it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.